Well, good morning, New Hope. Lovely weather we're having, amen? You know, uh, as part of my ongoing uh, seminary education, I was meeting um, with a supervisor for the first time a couple weeks ago, and and after an hour together, she uh, pegged me to a T with a little phrase and and just listening, and, and it was so amazing. And as she listened to what God was up to, she just said, God really likes working through you. And doesn't he like working through all of us? Amen. But there was just these encouraging words. And as I drove away from that, I thought, wow, this is so life-giving. So so full of God, full of goodness. And isn't that what the life with Christ is supposed to be? Jesus is the life-giving spirit. And so when with him, we're to receive that, that peace and that encouragement. It's not about us, it's about him. But it's not always like that, is it? I grew up in an amazing, loving Christian home, and I'm unashamed about the the Christian loving legacy I've been given. But it really wasn't until a couple years ago that God began to give me joy and freedom in the area of overcoming self-doubt. You see, I, I received so much love and affirmation, but there was a subtle difference. Rather than just receiving that love as I'm God's beloved child... And I know that, but I received the affirmation and any compliments to to boost up myself, to boost up my ego. And so then it's easy to get defensive when it's about you, when it's about yourself. Um, Perhaps you're a confident person. Maybe you don't deal with self-doubt, right? But the problem is whether you have a lot of pride or a little, the source is still the same, a selfish, selfish focus on self. On us. Pastor Bill referred to this a few weeks ago when he talked about overcoming fear. And it, it all started back in the Garden of Eden. Because before Adam and Eve sinned, they walked in the perfect love of God as he walked in the garden. And there wasn't any fear. There wasn't any sin. But it's when they put their self on the throne instead of God and they sinned, that all the results of fallen humanity came. And it's there, right away, that for the first time we see fear and shame, right? God was walking, they hid because they were afraid. They didn't want to be seen by God. And so Jesus came to set us free from our sin, to set us free from all the traps, the bondage that comes with our fallen humanity. And in this series, we've been looking at what you picked as a congregation, the top things that you want to overcome in your life. And one of them was self-doubt, overcoming self-doubt. And so the big idea today, overcoming self-doubt, comes through faith and a surrendered will. Follow along as I read the story of Jesus walking on the water in Matthew 14. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. 
and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand, took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. If you're taking notes, point number one, overcoming self-doubt comes through faith. This story is amazing. And maybe there's some sense of Minnesota pride, right? Like, we get, we get Jesus. We can walk on the water, right, in the winter. Peter is looking at Jesus. He's walking on the water. I mean, what compelled him, right? Jesus, if that's you, command me to come to you. I mean, there's some amazing faith. There's something going on. He gets out of the boat. He's walking on the water. But then he notices the wind and the waves and begins to sink, and he cries out to Jesus, and Jesus reaches out his hand, took hold of him, and told Peter, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? We see this phrase again and again throughout the Gospels. Uh, Jesus is always saying, oh, you of little faith. And I've often thought, oh, man, he's just critical of them all the time, right? Like, they're just doubting all the time and, oh, you unbelieving generation, right? But if you look here, it's, it's this amazing invitation. Come. He wants us to come. He wants us to have faith in him. He wants us to have an overcoming spirit over self-doubt or whatever that keeps us from coming and relying on him. So faith is the answer to overcoming doubt. Self-doubt is the lack of faith in the one who can walk on the water, who can handle any situation this world throws at us. Amen? But what is faith? I think many times we don't think about what faith is. It's just that religious concept. Faith. You got to have faith. I love the description Andrew Murray gives of faith. He says it's three things. First of all, it's utter dependence on God. Utter dependence on God. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by the one who loves me and gave himself up for me. We can live by faith, and it's utter dependence on God. It doesn't matter about us. It doesn't matter about our performance. We have been justified freely by grace, and so we can be utterly dependent on God. We sing that song, I need I need you, right? Lord, I need you. That's what faith is, utter dependence on God. Secondly, it's resting on God's word. The centurion, when he comes to Jesus, save my kid. He says, if you just say it, I'll believe it. And he says, I've not seen faith like this in all of Israel. And Jesus says it, and Jesus prays, and he goes back and he finds out that his daughter was healed the very minute Jesus said it was so. Faith is resting on God's word. We need to learn to trust God at his word. If God says it in his word, that settles it. God has never broken a promise. He's never forsaken you. He's never left you. He will never leave you. He is good to his word. His word is truth. We can stand on it. We don't need to stand on ourselves, right? We're not trustworthy, right? We fall down, but then we get up. We can stand. We can rest on his word. And then thirdly, it's fellowship with God. If we're in his word, we're in the presence of Jesus. Who is Jesus? He's the living word. He is the word. 
And so when we get in the word, we get in his presence. And so faith here is not some concept, right? Receive it, cherish it, grow in it. It's the presence of Jesus in you. It's this, it's this relationship. So how are you growing in faith? I'm just learning to try and be dependent on God. I'm just learning to try and stand on his word and just to enjoy him. Jesus with me. Jesus, you got this. Nothing you can't handle. It's not up to me. Growing in faith. And so as we begin to grow more and more in faith, we shed that awful burden and weight of trying to keep satisfying the never satisfied nature of our finite self. Self's never satisfied. But Jesus is the living water that satisfies. So that's what faith is, right? What is it not? Faith is not blind faith, right? No, it's, we put our faith in the nature of God and in his word and what is true. It's not blind faith. And faith is not dependent on our, the strength of our faith. Jesus said if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move. The strength of faith is in the object of our faith. It's Jesus. It's not the self. So we see again and again this calling to faith. In uh, Matthew 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount, it's, it's this great sermon to say, hey, this is what the kingdom of God is like. It's got the Beatitudes in it. It's got our Lord's prayer, right? Our Father who art in heaven. It's the key ingredients of what it is to live in the kingdom with Jesus. And in the middle of this, I think, is one of these key therefores. You see a therefore, hey, based on this truth, therefore. Jesus says we don't have to doubt, we don't have to worry. He says, you of little faith. In Matthew 6, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. This is the kingdom of God he wants to offer. This is what he's offering us to come. You don't have to worry. You don't have to doubt. And so overcoming self-doubt comes through faith. Secondly, overcoming self-doubt comes through a surrendered will. James 1, 5 through 8 says this, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. As we were praying this week and um, kind of praying over this, this theme, a thought came to me. I wonder what James was thinking about when he was writing this. And it, man, I could really see James thinking about this scene in the boat with Peter. Believe, don't doubt. The remembering, he was in the boat, walking to Jesus, and then starting to sink. And he says, don't be double-minded, right? To be double-minded is to say, God, I trust you. I trust you, you're my provider. Okay, how much is in my bank account? Right? What, what, what's our functional trust? I mean, we trust God. What do we really trust in, right? God, I know I'm loved by you and I'm okay. Oh, does that person love me? Do they love me? Do they love me not? What's our functional trust? God calls us to this life to trust him and to not be double-minded. 
What did the disciples do when Jesus and Peter got into the boat? It says, and when they got in the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Tim Keller says that every sin is a form of practical atheism. It is acting as if God were not there. So, in some ways, we all act like practical atheists sometimes when we look to ourselves, when we just trust ourselves and we don't look to God. But when you get in the presence of Jesus, things change. When you get in the presence of Jesus who walks on the water, when you get in the presence of the reality of who he is, of the love he is, of the love he has for us, things change. And you humble yourself and you worship him. I love the song by the way, by house fires in this line in the song that says, all my fears and doubts, they can all come too because they can't stay long when I'm here with you. And I love that personification, right, of fears, of doubts, of worries because there's a very real spiritual reality behind all the lies that come at us. They're just not concepts. There's spiritual realities and forces behind these lies, right? Just like there's a personification, there's a substantive truth to faith, it's the person of Jesus. It's the presence of the Holy Spirit. There too is other spiritual realities trying to, right, tempt us to get us to to walk away from him. Can't say it better than Hannah Whitehall-Smith in her book, The Christian Secret of a Happy Life, in the 1800s, she says, Do not your doubts come trooping to your door like a company of sympathizing friends who appreciate your hard case and have come to console with you. We've all heard those lies, right? Like, oh, you deserve that sympathy. Alcoholics many times uh, give testimonies of this, right? Of how that alcohol says, I'm your friend. You don't need anyone else. What a lie. But there's a spiritual reality behind that. And so doubts are like those come to your door saying, let me in, let me in. Hannah Whitehall-Smith goes on to say, God always takes possession of a surrendered will. How do we overcome self-doubt? Through faith. Through growing in his word, growing in revelation, growing in relationship with him, growing in identity, I'm a child of God. I'm no longer slave to fear. It's not just what we sing, it's a reality. And as we grow as overcomers, we constantly surrender our lives to him. God, your Lord. We bow with the disciples in the boat. We say, truly, you are the son of God. I surrender my life to you. It's not working great, me doing it on my own. I give it to you. It's not about us. We don't have to be strong enough. We don't have to be smart enough. We don't have to be good enough. We just take our little faith to him. We surrender. We say, I trust you, God. Fight my battles. I surrender it all to Jesus. I surrender my doubts. I surrender my fears to him. And I silence them in Jesus' name. I'm his property. I'm in Christ. Take that. Shut the door. There used to be a song, shut the door, keep out the devil. Shut the door, keep the devil in the night. I know, I'm old. 
I've talked before about receiving the gift of gospel humility. See, gospel humility, it's the freedom of self-forgetfulness. A gospel humble person doesn't think too much of themselves, which is pride. And a gospel person doesn't think too little of themselves. That's false humility. They just have received the gift of thinking of themselves less often. Because they don't have to consume themselves with self. It's him, it's Christ who lives in us. And another way of knowing that you're growing in gospel humility is you're not too easily offended by criticism or, or put-downs. And I'm not saying don't let people walk over you or bully you, right? But, but if we are justified freely by his grace, if our identity is in him, and we don't need to perform, we don't need to impress, we don't need to outdo the Joneses to pump up self, then we don't get as easily offended because it's not about us. It's about him. Or how about receiving compliments, praise and affirmation? I told you that for most of my life that fed my ego, right? That, so it was easily to be defensive because I'm trying to protect myself. But you know you're starting to experience freedom when you can quickly give glory to God because he's the one who gives us any gifts. He gives us everything. He's the father who gives all good gifts. And so we can just say, thank you, God. If any compliments come, God, you you deserve the praise. I noticed, um, I've still got a long way to go, but I just noticed when this started to change a little bit a couple years ago, my wife and I were playing in a co-ed soccer league in Roseville with her cousins and friends, and I was, it was a blast. I was the old man on the team, but I still held my own, Eric, okay? And one game, it was a tie, and so it went to a shootout, and they put me in the net, and I remember walking to the goal, and I said, God, if I make this save, man, praise your name. And if I don't, it's no big deal. And it was just this joy, just relief, like, it's not all on my shoulders, or it's not all about me. And you got to guess right, and you got to jump one way or the other. And I guessed right, and I made a diving save. And then I said, who's the one with the mad skills? No, I didn't say that. (laughs) I just remember that. I'm like, God, thank you. You gave me this gift. I made that save. Praise your name, whether I did or not. I remember when a compliment came in my home church. A man came forward. My dad had been his pastor. I was his pastor at this time. And he came after the service, and he just said, your dad would be so proud. And remember, I had just was in the pattern, right, of receiving compliments, patting myself on the back. But I remember just this change. And like, man, God, if there's anything good, it's from you. If I can honor my dad's memory and glorify you, praise God. Glimpses, right? When we see that, when we see that Jesus, oh, wow, we can let the self-doubt go. And we can say, God, it's all about you, all to your glory. So how do we begin to practice? How do we overcome self-doubt? Pray this prayer, Hannah White Allsmith. We must hand the very first suggestion of doubt over to the Lord. And we must let him manage it, right? That's surrender. Just pray, I dare not doubt. I must trust. 
God is my father and he does love me. Jesus saves me. Jesus saves me now. That's a wonderful prayer. If you don't have a prayer to pray, say that, right? That's resting on God's word. He loves me. Jesus saves me. Jesus saves me now. Salvation is not just for the pearly gates. It's for walking in freedom now. It's for overcoming self-doubt now and experiencing that joy and that liberation and that freedom. But oftentimes, it's hard to overcome the self-doubt with, with the things that matter to us most, right? Those relationships that are most precious to us, and maybe we've heard those doubts clamoring at the door and saying those lies, you're a failure, you're no good. It's hard to overcome those doubts, right? But we can take it all to Jesus. Last Saturday, I was down visiting my mom in uh, Burnsville, in Lakeville, and my son needed basketball shoes, so I, I went to the Burnsville Mall. I'm so old, I was there before the Burnsville Mall was there. But I know the Burnsville Mall like the back of my hand, and so I went to Dick's Sporting Goods, and they didn't have Air Jordans, just so you know. So they said, go to Foot Locker. So I went to Foot Locker. Well, I know where Foot Locker is. I shopped at Foot Locker as a kid. It wasn't there. So I'm aimlessly with one of my spiritual fathers and my good friends, Andy. And he says, no way, John. I was just thinking about you on the way here to the mall. I said, Andy, I thought of you a couple times this week. He texted his wife and Jenny came, and right there by the food court, he said, would you pray for us? We're estranged from one of our sons, not in relationship with one of our sons. Here was a man God had used in a hard point in my life to encourage me. And are you kidding me? That didn't just happen, right? God wanted to encourage. God wanted to say, I'm here. Come to me. Pray with me. Put your faith in me. I've got this. They're all my children. I'm the Heavenly Father. So, who wants that gift today of surrendering the will, of receiving the gift of faith, and saying, Jesus, take my self doubt, fill me with hope, fill me with your life giving presence? I want to encourage you to step out of the boat today. I want to encourage you to step out of the boat because it's fearful to, to receive prayer, right? We always give that invitation at the end of service. Come to the altar. People will pray with you. There is power in prayer. Step out of the boat like Peter and come and receive prayer. If there's any self-doubt, they'll pray with you. And those... Things knocking on the door, they'll have to go in Jesus' name. And the joy of the Lord will come in. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we just thank you, God. I just thank you, God, you are so in love with us. You sent your son to die on the cross for us to bring us back in relationship with you. I just thank you that in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I just thank you that you make known to us the path of life. And Jesus, I thank you, you stand before us and you say, come. All who are weary and burdened, come. 
you have little faith, come so I will fill you with my joy, my abundant life. Trust in me. I've got this. Holy Spirit, have your way. May there be a radiance. May there be a warmth. May there be a joy and a light that overwhelms the cold of this day. And we'll give you all the praise and the glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen.